We're picking up this morning in our sermon series on the Gospel of John, and we're going to finish chapter 4 today. Jesus has moved on from Samaria, that region, and is now back in Galilee. And John, the author of this gospel, presents this encounter at the end of chapter 4 as a contrast with what came before concerning the Samaritans. And it is a contrast of faith. That our passage this morning is about faith, is about trusting or believing in God and His Word. You see, the Samaritans in chapter 4 believed Jesus based on his words. But we are told that the Jews of Galilee insist on seeing miracles in order to believe. And so the big question I want us to consider as we hear God's word this morning is this. What does saving faith look like? What does faith in Jesus Christ look like? And to answer that question, we're going to look this morning at John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. You can find it in your bulletins, or if you've opened up your Bibles, John chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 43 after Jesus has spent two days in Samaria. So let's hear the word of God this morning. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir. Come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we give thanks for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. A God who seeks to be known. A God who not only speaks to us in the word, but a God who sends the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds to understand the word. And so, Spirit... 
Go forth with your words today. The very word you inspired John to write that has been preserved through the ages and open our ears to hear. Open our hearts and minds to hear your word today and to trust in it. O Spirit, use me in spite of my weakness and my sin to proclaim faithfully your word and to do so clearly that we might know it, O God. That you would be glorified as we trust in you and have faith in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, as we see this contrast of faith, I want us to see how John points out for us a kind of counterfeit faith. Like a counterfeit dollar bill that looks pretty good, but upon closer inspection is not genuine. It is not real. So there's a kind of counterfeit faith we see in this passage. And then he shows us the challenge that reveals true faith. It's kind of what the cashier does when you give them one of those big old hundred dollar bills and they they have this challenge they have to do. This shows whether the faith is real or not. And then we're going to see how that faith, that true and genuine faith is confirmed, how it is strengthened and confirmed. But really, at the beginning of this passage, there's a puzzle we've got to figure out. John mentions in verse 44 that Jesus said a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And that makes sense to us. The idea is that prophets or preachers find it difficult to speak God's truth to people who knew them when they were younger. That in some ways you will always be little Jimmy or little Susie or whoever and you won't be viewed as an adult who is speaking on behalf of God no matter how much you have grown up. And that all makes a whole lot of sense until you get to verse 45 where we read, When Jesus came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had been at the feast. Now, though Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, we know that from our Christmas stories, he grew up in Nazareth of Galilee. He was not known as Jesus of Bethlehem, but Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus is now in Galilee, near his hometown of Nazareth. And John specifically says that the Galileans welcomed him. Okay, so how is it possible that he is not being honored, but being welcomed. Well, the key to solving this puzzle is in verse 48. That after this man journeys from Capernaum to Cana, seeking Jesus' help to heal his son who is near death, Jesus seems to respond with a surprising lack of compassion. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But before you think Jesus is unnecessarily mean and picking on this man whose son is sick, we need to see that the word you in verse 48 is plural in both instances. And so Jesus is speaking about all the Galileans in Cana saying, y'all Galileans want signs and wonders or yin's guys won't believe. And so he's not picking on this one man, but speaking in general about these sign seekers in Galilee. John even reminds us that they are in Cana at this moment where Jesus turned the water into wine. Jesus had likely developed a reputation as a miracle worker in Cana. 
And so they wanted him to use his divine power to solve their problems. But that was the problem. They only sought the power Jesus could provide. They didn't look beyond his power to his person. See, John is careful to call these miracles signs. That signs always point to something beyond themselves. This makes me think of the many, many announcements that governing authorities made over the last year and how they'd be talking and in this little picture-in-picture box, there'd be the interpreter for the deaf just going at it with all of their signs. And every once in a while, I would get so distracted from whatever the governor was saying, I would just look at this person doing magic with their hands. And it's really impressive gesticulations. But if you don't know sign language... You really don't know what they're saying. It looks cool. It looks impressive. But unless you know what the signs mean, you're only seeing someone flapping their hands. In the same way, Jesus' miracles demonstrated divine power like a sign so that people would ask, who is this guy? How can he do these things? But the people of Galilee were not asking those questions. They only saw the miracles. They saw Jesus' power as a means to their own ends. And they didn't consider how Jesus came to have this power. And if, I don't know, Jesus came to earth to do something that he wanted to do. And so they exhibited a kind of counterfeit faith that is only interested in what God can do for us on our terms. This kind of counterfeit faith can be seen in our consumer culture today where the customer is always right. We search around for the best deals on different things, how we can get the most bang for our buck. The Burger King slogan from years ago said, have it your way. Just tell us what you want us to do and we'll do it. It sounds like a hostage, okay? Tell us what you want us to do. Streaming services tailor everything to our preferences and our time schedule. And this consumer attitude creeps into Christianity when we think of Jesus as a divine butler that we call upon instead of a Lord that we follow and serve. And so we can see God as a kind of raw power to be tapped into through our faith and prayers. We try to use him for our needs. Heal our loved ones. Give me what I desire. Lift me up when I am feeling down. And it's true, God can use his power for those sorts of things. But if we only stop there, it could be a kind of counterfeit faith that fails to consider what God wants to do with his power. Counterfeit faith doesn't trust God to use His power in His way for His purposes. It tries to manipulate God into acting for our purposes in our time. And that is how the people of Galilee were treating Jesus. The hometown boy was not being honored because he was being used. Used for his power. And so in the face of a crowd of this kind of counterfeit faith, Jesus challenges this man from Capernaum to show real faith, genuine faith in him. 
This man whose son is sick is described as an official, someone who probably was in service of Herod, who ruled that region at this time. And even though he was in a position of power in the government, he felt powerless to save his son. And so he travels over 10 miles uphill to beg Jesus to come back with him to save his son who was about to die from an illness. And to us, this guy has a very reasonable request. We think Jesus needs to help this guy. This man has clearly heard of Jesus and his ability to heal the sick. And he believes Jesus, that Jesus has the power to heal his son. He showed determination to go this long distance to call on Jesus, leaving the side of his son who is near death. And even after hearing Jesus's critical words, he persists saying, sir, please come down before my child dies. We hear the desperation in this man's voice pleading for Jesus to come. He knows it's the only way his son can be healed. But Jesus challenges this man to have real faith. Instead of going with the man and performing the miracle that might lead to a kind of counterfeit faith in the miracle, he challenges him to have faith prior to seeing the miracle. Jesus says in verse 50, go, your son will live. Now, Jesus is not simply saying it's a scratch. He'll get better. Okay, this isn't an overprotective helicopter parent. His son was genuinely about to die. Jesus tells the man to go back home, trusting that he could heal his son from a distance. The official has no saving power in this moment of need. All he has received is a word from Jesus, a word he is challenged to believe. Think about it from the perspective of the official. He could not pick up his cell phone, text his wife real quick. Is he better? Couldn't do that. He couldn't hop in his car, take a 20 minute drive. And get there quickly? No, he had to walk all the way back home, trusting only Jesus' word that his son would live. He had to believe that he didn't need Jesus to come with him. He had no way of seeing what would happen before he had to believe that it would happen. And so he had to walk home, not trusting the plan he had made when he left, which was get Jesus, bring him back. He had to trust Jesus' word. It was a challenge of faith, a lot like what Naaman faced in 2 Kings 5, our Old Testament reading, that Naaman also was a royal official. And he expected Elisha to heal him in a certain way. Yet instead, Elisha sends a messenger. He is literally in the house. Naaman has come to the front door and he sends someone downstairs to tell Naaman, hey, just go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. You'll be good. Naaman, understandably, as a very important man, was not happy. But as his servants point out, this is a simple word. A simple word, a lot like go, your son will live. But these simple words are hard to believe when we expect something different. And so God challenges us to trust him at his word, no matter how simple or unlikely his word may be. 
Consider a couple other instances where God challenges people to trust his simple yet unlikely word. Noah, build a boat like a big one, like a really big one, a massive one, because a devastating flood is coming. I know the weather station's not talking about it, but build it now. Okay. Consider Abraham and Sarah whom God promised would conceive and bear a child in their 90s. They were asked to believe God's word more than what their eyes could see in the mirror. Noah couldn't see any rain clouds. Sarah didn't see her body getting younger, and yet they were challenged to trust God's word because that's what real faith is. The official in John 4 responds with this kind of real faith as he leaves Cana with nothing but Jesus' word ringing in his ears. Your son will live. He doesn't carry with him medicine. He doesn't even have a receipt that he can go back and complain to Jesus with. All he has is the word of Jesus. Yet he believes that word. He shows real faith. And like we who believe in Jesus today, this official walked by faith, trusting the word of Jesus more than what his eyes could see. He didn't foolishly walk, wishing his son would be better. He was holding on to the word of Jesus, trusting that Jesus would heal him. And so having responded rightly to this challenge of faith, how do you think this man felt on his walk back home? Was he overjoyed? My son's going to live. Was he uncertain? I hope this works. Wife's going to be real mad if this doesn't work. What do we think? Did he confidently travel back to Capernaum? Or did he doubt his decision the whole way? All we are told is that the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And that is a description of real faith no matter how confident he was. The man trusted Jesus enough to go, to step out in faith. And before he even made it home, his faith would be strengthened because his faith would be confirmed. He was met by some of his servants who found him on his way back from Cana, and they bring the joyous news that his son is recovering. The servants were probably trying to race to like stop, like, no, no, you don't need to get Jesus. He's good. We're, we're better now. All right. Because they didn't know what had happened. They were excited to tell their master the son had recovered. It was news that brought joy and relief to the father. But after that initial wave of relief, the official seeks to confirm his faith. He asks his servant, when? When did this happen? When did he get better? The official wanted to know, did Jesus really heal him? Or was this a coincidence? Perhaps his son had recovered before he had ever made it to Jesus. And his servants were just really slow. Maybe. And so the servants tell him when. And the man thinks back. And it's the exact time that Jesus said, your son will live. And hearing that amazing truth, we are told he himself believed and all his household. The man had it confirmed that Jesus could and did heal and was faithful to his word. 
Jesus was worthy of this man's faith. And this man knew he could trust Jesus from then on. And just like the Samaritan woman we saw last week, this man immediately begins sharing his faith in the Messiah with all who will listen. He tells all of his family members, all of his household about Jesus' promise and how this recovery was not just he got better, but he was healed by Jesus. And he kept saying it was proof that Jesus can be trusted. And that kind of proof is what strengthens our faith. See, God confirms and strengthens our faith by proving his faithfulness day after day. Like we talked about with the kids in the children's message, that first jump in the swimming pool, that first leap of faith, that first trusting in God's word is like, this feels ridiculous. Why am I trusting in Jesus? Oh, okay. You're good, God. And we go and do it again and do it again. That faith is strengthened through repetition, just like eating weird foods and jumping in a pool. That God proves himself faithful. And even more than me, most of the time catching my kids in the pool, God shows that he is faithful in every instance, even when his word is unlikely. See, we are blessed to have God's complete revelation in the Bible, where we can read on page after page about a God who keeps his word. And in fact, you will notice as you read through the Bible that there are entire paragraphs that have no other purpose of being in the Bible other than to say, remember when God promised this thing back here? <sighs> Kept it. The word was fulfilled. God wants his people to know he always keeps his word. And so saving faith trusts in God's word more than what our eyes can see. The strength of our faith, how confident we walk, goes up and down. It grows strong and weak at different points in our lives. But over time, it gradually grows stronger as we seek confirmation for our faith. As we consider how God has been faithful to us when we have trusted his word. Think of the Lord's Prayer. How many days has God provided you your daily bread, both physical and spiritual? How many temptations has God kept you from and delivered you from? Or how many times have you found that it is better to give than to receive? Children, how many times have you found that life goes better when you honor your father and your mother? Right. Consider how God has kept his word to you. Know that these are not coincidences, but the daily proofs of God's faithfulness, that God has proven himself to every generation of believers since the beginning of time. And like all of the saints that come before us, we are called to trust in God's word and walk by faith more than by what we see. See, there's a lot we trust that we don't see. We cannot see our sins and the punishment they, they deserve in the same way we see the crimes on this earth and the punishments they receive at the judicial system. We cannot see the fires of hell or the joys of heaven. We cannot see our sins forgiven on some ledger or on an online account. But we can trust God in His Word on those things. 
We can trust that in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven through his death and his resurrection. And we can walk each day trusting in Jesus, praying that he would use us for his good purposes rather than that we would seek to use him for ours. Knowing that we have a faithful God that we seek to glorify in all the earth, spreading the news, here is how my God has been faithful to me. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that you would help us to see your faithfulness in our lives. To have our faith confirmed and strengthened again and again as you prove true by keeping your word as you always do. Help us to be people ready to give thanks when our prayers are answered. Ready to testify to your goodness and faithfulness and that obeying your word results in a joy. So God, we pray that you would give us strong faith and that you would bless those who do not have faith, that they would trust in you, that they would hear your word and believe it. And so, God, we ask these prayers in the strong name of Jesus in whom we trust. Amen.